Hey, welcome to you. We're glad to have you here. Welcome at Homer Glen. Welcome at New Lenox. Welcome at Orland Park. Welcome online. We're glad to have you here. Let me just ask you, have you ever done something you wished you hadn't done? Raise your hand. All of our campuses, okay? Has anybody, how about number two, has anybody ever done anything to you that you wish they wouldn't have done? Raise your hand. Okay, all of our campuses, I see you, okay? Okay, this series is for you. Sorry, not sorry, about forgiveness. We're going to spend three weeks on it because we know we need it, but we have a hard time giving it. Now, like as Christians, we understand that it's the foundation of our existence. It's why Jesus came and he told us in the model prayer, right, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or as one little girl translated it, forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who trash in our baskets. That's not bad, is it? Yeah, no, I, I think that's pretty good. And, and we know it's one of those things, it's like a supposed to do kind of a thing, right? It's like spiritual version of exercise or eating, right? But we're just not really sure that it's that important and we're not really sure that we could ever really pull it off. Here's a verse I wanna, I wanna hone in on during this series and I want you to understand how important it is from the writer of Hebrews. He says it this way, see to it that no one misses the grace of God God. Wait, what? You can miss the grace of God? Evidently. How, how does that happen? That no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Is kale a bitter root? I'm just asking. Um, I mean, like, I don't know about you, but, but, but I'm telling you right now, bitter is never used as a good thing to describe anything, right? Sour can be good. Salty can be good. Sweet is always good. But bitter is never good. If you think about the word bitter, what does it just kind of do to your mouth, right? Turn to your neighbor at all of our campuses and make the bitter face just right now, okay? Just go ahead and do it. Bitter cam, it's on. Ew, it's like that, right? My favorite stories about bitterness is a woman in World War II who was at a, this uppity, you know, English society woman. She's at a gathering with Winston Churchill who got a lot of criticism uh, for how he was handling the war. And she was criticizing him. And she concluded her chastisement by looking him in the eye and saying, sir, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your tea. Churchill's quick response was, lady, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> <coughs> Here's how, here's how Chuck Swindoll describes the effects of bitterness. The cause and effects of bitterness seep into the basement of our lives like runoff from a broken sewer pipe. Every form of ugliness begins to float to the surface of those murky waters. Prejudice, malice, suspicion, hate, cruelty, cynicism. There's no torment like the inner torment of bitterness, which is the byproduct of an unforgiving spirit. It refuses to be soothed, it refuses to be healed, it refuses to forget. There's no prison more damaging than the bars of bitterness that won't let the battle end. If you like being in bitter prison, you probably need some medication. I'm just telling you that right now. And I know that, that, that many of us deserve to feel bad. And we deserve it because somebody did something to us and it gives us an excuse to be a bitter person. But when you are a bitter person, you only hurt yourself. What does he say? Bitter, cause trouble and defile many. A bitter root that causes trouble and defiles many. Bitterness is never constructive. 
It's always destructive. Nothing good ever comes to it. He says, see to it. Be diligent, right? See to it. What? That no one misses the grace of God. I want to come back to that. Wait, you can miss the grace of God? Like the best thing ever invented in the history of the universe? You can miss it by being bitter. That's what he says. That's a huge statement. What a waste of a life. If you know me, you know I have such a passion for the grace of God. It's just so frustrating for me when people get in the way of the grace of God, when there's denied access to the grace of God. It made Jesus so angry, I wrote a book about it, you know? I mean, it's that important to me because that's what it was. So my goal has always been to help the people on the outside get a chance to see the actual grace of God and hopefully get the Christians out of the way so that they can see the grace of God. That's always been my goal. But how much more tragic is it to miss the grace of God because you blocked it yourself. That you denied your own access to the grace of God. I used a story in, in the book from Bob George who wrote Classic Christianity. He said it this way. He said, imagine you own a fine cafeteria. And one day you hear this tremendous commotion outside. And, and you see me. I, I'm, this, I'm this virtual living skeleton who's going through the dumpster looking for garbage. And I say to you, and you say to me, hey, get out of the garbage. Don't eat that stuff. Come over here. So I trudge over to you, half seeing you through these hopeless eyes. And you say, listen, I can't stand seeing you eat out of the garbage. Come to my cafeteria and eat. Come to my restaurant and eat. Well, I don't have any money, I say. Well, it doesn't matter. My restaurants have done well and I can afford it. And it's my restaurant so I can do what I want. I want you to eat here every day now, from now on for the rest of your life for free. You take my arm and you lead me inside the restaurant and I look around at people's food and I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's unbelievable to me. In my wildest dreams, I never imagined anything so beautiful. And I look at you intently and I say, so are you saying I can eat anything I want? Yes, you can order anything you want. Really, anything I want? Yes, anything you want, you answer. Then slowly with a gleam in my eye, I ask, well, can I eat some garbage? Who would do that? Well, that's kind of what we do when we allow bitterness to reign in our hearts. We're, we're literally missing the grace of God. It, we're allowing a bitter root to grow up and cause trouble and defile many. And we're missing all the wonderful things God has for us. I mean, the truth is, you know, you could say, well, Tim, is it really possible to miss the grace of God? Well, the grace of God is the grace of God. If you accept it, it's there. But actually, I would say I don't know any Christian, including myself, who is really living fully in the grace of God. There's always that voice in the background, right? There's always that, that fear that the grace of God isn't real. Uh, to me, I picture the grace of God as this vast ocean that we stand in, and, and we're at the beach, and we're afraid to venture into the water past the bottom of our shorts. That's what I feel like the grace of God is like. I, I believe in it. I know it's real. I know I'm saved. I mean, I, I hope I'm saved. I, I just don't think I even begin to really live in the fact that there's a good, good father who loves me that much. One thing I'm sure of, you're not going to live in the grace of God with bitterness, right? You're not going to live in the grace of God this way, okay? Uh, let me give you an example from uh, social media this week. I should 
be able to recline my seat on an airline. <laughs> oh, you saw it. Well, I don't want you to recline my seat because I'm trying to eat, so I'm going to punch the back of your seat. Well, then I'm just going to yell at you. Well, then I'm just going to keep bumping the back of your seat. Well, then I'm going to take a video of you and post it. And guess what? Pretty soon, both of you look pretty stupid and the video goes viral. And everybody missed the grace of God. You see what I'm saying? The wisest man in the world said, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else. Wisest man in the world, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. So let's start at the beginning today and talk about how you forgive yourself. We have to start there because if we can't forgive ourselves, we certainly won't forgive anybody else. I mean, why would we let them off if we have to live with the pain? So for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how do you forgive those people who trash in your baskets. But I don't believe that you can really learn to forgive others if you haven't forgiven yourself. When Jesus gave us the second greatest commandment, he said, I love your neighbor as yourself. There's two parts there, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You got to love yourself and you got to love others. And I would say that you can't love others very well if you can't love yourself. And I would say that you can't forgive others very well if you can't forgive yourself. And I don't know what it might be for you, but I know there's something, it's something that you did that you can't undo, something that you said that you can't unsay, and, 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 and you, you just ask yourself, why did I do that? I can't get over the guilt. Maybe it's a feeling that you've had since last week when you heard me talk about marriage, and you know that it's partially your fault that your marriage has worked out like it did. Or maybe it's an addiction. It's the porn or the workaholism or the shopping or the drugs that you take or you drink. And you really do love God and you really are sorry. And maybe you've even asked God to forgive you and you've made amends with the people that you've wronged. But the shame and the guilt is still just there. You're standing at the vast ocean of God's grace and you're afraid to get your feet wet. What do you do when it haunts you? Sarah was a rich and powerful woman in the late 1800s. She had inherited $20 million, which would have been like a half a billion dollars in today's, uh, in today's equal. And when her husband died and then her infant daughter both died within months of each other, she was left alone. Two different illnesses, but she was left alone. And it drove her literally crazy. She went to a psychic who told her that it was the revenge of the dead. And that if she wanted to not be cursed, she needed to go build a house for the dead spirits to live in. So she did. She took her money and moved to Northern California to build a home for dead spirits. And she employed carpenters who worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week on a house for 38 years nonstop. You can go visit it today if you'd like to. When she died, the house had 160 rooms, 10,000 windows, 467 doors, 40 staircases. It's a really bizarre house. There are doors in the floor. There are staircases leading nowhere or to a 50-foot drop. The windows each have 13 panes of glass, and each chandelier has 13 globes. Sarah's last name was Winchester. Her money all came from the sale of Winchester rifles that had been used to kill a lot of Indians and a lot of soldiers on the U.S. frontier. And it was her castle of regret. It was her unresolved guilt prison. And maybe that's a, a literal issue, but I would believe that a lot of us are living in our own unresolved guilt prison. Guilt is a great motivator in some ways. 
Some people use it well. Some preachers use it well. I'm not fond of it, uh, but some preachers do. Every mother does it well, right? I mean, I saw a t-shirt once that said, my mom is a travel agent for guilt trips. I think that's pretty good, right? (laughs) And hey, appropriate guilt is God's spirit leading us uh, and our consciences to to, to get over bad things and do good things. And and it's a a gentle, persistent call to repentance and restitution. And it it seeks a restart and it's a good thing. But, But there's a bad part of it if you don't let it go. And I'll explain it really easily with one verse from Paul in 2 Corinthians. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Well, okay, how do I figure this out? Well, let me make this crystal clear. Godly sorrow is appropriate guilt. Some of you are feeling it going through FPU right now, right? You're two weeks into FPU and you're like, wow, we really made some dumb decisions. Okay, join the club. That's why 7 million people have been through FPU. We've all done it, okay? But listen, godly sorrow brings repentance, cut up the credit card, that leads to salvation, it leads to salvation and leaves no regret, right? This is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Appropriate guilt is like the check engine light on your, on your dashboard. If the check engine light comes on, you have two choices. You can either take it to a certified mechanic who can figure it out, or you could just wait for the car to die, and it will probably do it in a really bad time in a really bad place. So, so, so guilt in some way should motivate you towards repentance. That would be godly sorrow. And there's a good big difference, however, between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Let, let me give you an example. Simon Peter, Apostle Peter in the New Testament. Many of you could probably relate to Peter. I can relate to Peter. Peter was a guy who would do a lot of great things and then do a lot of really dumb things, okay? He probably had undiagnosed ADHD. I'm pretty sure about that as I look at the life of Peter. And I I feel that. Mine's diagnosed, okay? You can relate to that. You're like, you're going in the right direction. You're honoring God. You're doing all the good things. And then then one day it's... Oops, I did it again. You know, you Brittany, it all over it right there. Hey, you know, let me give you an example from Sunday night. You have this speech all prepared for the Oscars just in case you win for best actor. And you want to talk about the big injustices of the world. And there's so many important injustices of the world. But all you can come up with in the moment is milking cows. Sorry, Joaquin, that was just me, okay? So, so one day, Peter, he's kind of bragging on himself, right? And, and he's like, Jesus, I'm your guy, dude. I, I got you. And he does the bro hug. It's not in the Bible, but I'm sure he did. You know what the bro hug is? is you, you grab the hand and you come in and you do this, okay? That's the bro hug because then you're not really touching because your hand's in there. I don't know if you've seen it, but, I mean, this is what we do, okay? This is all we got, okay? Peter's, Peter's like, bro hug, Lord, I am ready to go to prison for you, and I am ready to die for you. Yo, Jesus, even if everybody else denies you, not me, man. I got your back. I'm in your corner. I will always be there for you. He starts to break into Whitney Houston. You're welcome. And and Jesus, I know we miss Whitney, don't we? Golly, best ever. And Jesus sees through his pride and and he sees his weakness. And Jesus says, yo, Peter, I really appreciate your thought. But actually, before the rooster crows, 
you're going to deny me three times. No, no way. I'd never do it. So Jesus gets arrested. Everybody's gathered around like in this big courtyard area and they're standing around a fire. And the Bible uses the term a a, a fire of burning coals. Really important. Hang on to that. And Peter is there with them at this little fire pit and a young girl walks up and says, hey, aren't you the guy who was with Jesus? And Peter's like, Jesus who? I don't know who you're talking about. And another woman comes up and says, hey, Whitney, weren't you one of the disciples? Nope, nope, wasn't me. A third person comes up and Peter swears, either like expletive, no, I don't know him, or I swear in my mama's grave. I don't know him. And just as he's speaking, the rooster crows. And I'm going to show you a portion of scripture that you may not have noticed if you've read through that before. It's just at the moment Peter denies Jesus. It goes on and it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. They're in the same place. Did you realize that? And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He had sorrow. What kind was it? Here's Mel Gibson's interpretation. It's that moment that Peter let Jesus down. Jesus is there and he looks over and Peter realizes and he sees him and he looks him straight in the eye and he remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him and Peter went outside and wept bitterly. This is the moment where the devil has you exactly where he wants you. It's sorrow. Is it going to go godly sorrow or worldly sorrow? This is the moment you're dealing with your shame and your spiritual enemy has you in his corner because shame is where he wants you. And let me explain it this way. Big difference between godly sorrow. Godly sorrow says, I did something bad, right? I did something bad. But shame or worldly sorrow says, I am bad. Do you see the difference? It's huge. And what the devil does is he tries to connect your action to your identity. And ironically, it's the same thing we often do to other people, which we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. This is why we start here. It's not their act that was pathetic. They are pathetic. It's not what they did that was awful. They are awful. That is shame-based thinking. And this is why we need to learn to love ourselves if we're going to love others and why we need to learn to forgive ourselves if we're ever going to forgive others because we've got to get past shame-based thinking. The moment you start dwelling on your shame, your spiritual enemy has you where he wants you, worldly sorrow which leads to death. You, You can almost imagine what the devil would have been telling Peter at that moment. Peter, man, wow, you blew it big time. Jesus trusted you. Jesus, out of all the people in the world, Jesus selected you, Peter. He selected you to be one of the disciples. And then you went off bragging about how great you were (coughs) and how you'd be there for him. And you let him down and you betrayed him. And on top of it, Jesus saw you. If he hadn't seen you, you could have denied your denial and crawled further into your lousy lying hole. But he looked you straight in the eye. You are busted, mister. You see, here's how it works. The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. But God wants to use your guilt to draw you to his grace. Do not miss out on the grace of God. 
But think about it this way. Peter and Judas, godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. If you don't know the story of Judas, Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus also, not three times, but for money, 30 pieces of silver. But instead of having a godly sorrow, Judas had what many of us had, and in his shame, he went with worldly sorrow. Let me say it again. Remember this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads no regret. That would have been available to Judas, but worldly sorrow brings death, and literally for Judas because he committed suicide. And please, can I just say this? If you are contemplating suicide for whatever reason, please, I beg you. I've been on the other side so many times. Way too many times. It's not the answer. There are people who care about you. We care about you. Whether you're feeling shame, whether you're feeling worldly sorrow, whether you're feeling depression, whatever it is, please let us help you. Let somebody help you. Peter and Judas did the same thing. And one of them ended his own life. And the other one went on to lead the church. What was the difference? was the way they handled their shame. It was the way they handled their guilt and their sorrow. One led to repentance that led to salvation that left no regret. Well, what's repentance? Changing direction. Re means to turn and pent is kind of like penthouse. It go up, right? Turn away from a lower house to go up to a higher house. Turn from a lower way to go to a higher way. It's simply turning to God. Norman Wright wrote it this way. If you're like most of us, You started your adult life with very little. You moved into your first apartment with hand-me-down furniture and appliances donated by relatives and friends. And some of those weren't very nice. And there were days when you wanted to toss everything out, but you couldn't afford to fill the apartment with new furnishings. And it was uncomfortable sitting and eating and sleeping on the floor. So you just kept the sagging couch and the broken chairs and the chipped dishes until you could replace them one piece at a time. Unless... This was your financial peace thing, and you put them all on your credit card. Another story. So your mind is kind of like that apartment. As a young adult, many of you thought that your thoughts and ideas about yourself were hand-me-downs from your parents and your friends and your teachers and others who influenced you while you were growing up. And some of those thoughts may have been negative and critical. Some of them may have even been sinful. And as you have grown older, these thoughts have hindered you from maintaining a good self-image and getting along with yourself. But you just can't empty your mind of negative thoughts. That doesn't work. You can't live in a mental vacuum. You must replace the old negative critical hand-me-down thoughts with positive biblical thoughts. So watch this. John's Gospel, chapter 21. Jesus shows up to be with Peter after the resurrection. They've been together in groups before, but this is the first time that we know that they're alone And and, and they're together and they're at the beach and Peter's been cooking fish over a fire. And the text of the Bible actually calls it a fire of burning coals. Very specifically, right? That phrase that was only used one other time in the New Testament. That time that Peter denied Jesus in the courtyard. Those are the only two times in the New Testament that phrase is used. So it's like, okay, let's tie these two things together. It's Peter at a fire pit. Peter at a fire pit. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now think about that. Is that a question? No, it's not a question. It's a statement. 
Because isn't it true that if I don't love you, I don't really care whether you love me? I mean, did you ever pass a note to a girl or a boy in junior high with, a, you know, boxes in it that said, hey, if you like me, tech, you know, check this box? You never passed that note to somebody that you didn't already like, right? So Peter, Peter's getting a statement, not really a question, all right? Yes, Lord, he says, uh, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay, feed my lambs. Got it. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, uh, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Got it. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter was hurt. I believe he was hurt because he didn't understand what Jesus was doing at the time. I bet he looked back on this and smiled. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. And Jesus brilliantly gave Peter the chance to undo all three denials. Jesus didn't want to get Peter off later on leading the church going, oh, I only told him, yes, I would feed his lambs and that I loved him twice, but I denied him three times, so that's not going to weigh out well. No, he did it three times because there were three times. And he will do the same thing for you a million times over. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, I told you, I told you, man, I told you you were going to do it. He didn't do that. He didn't say, Peter, you know, I think you need to have a little spiritual time out here. Think about what you've done. He didn't make him wallow in his sin for a while. Can you feel the love? Can you feel, the Pe- the, 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 can you feel Peter's passion welling up inside of him? Do you love me? Absolutely. Feed my sheep, Peter. I can imagine Jesus smiling. Feed my sheep. Finish your assignment. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Okay, you're forgiven. Go do what I created you to do. And let me tell you what Peter never did. Peter didn't say, oh, Jesus, I I just can't receive your grace. I don't deserve it. I mean, it's good enough for James and John, you know, but your grace can't be enough for me. I, I went too far. He never did that. He acknowledged his sin. He repented. He received the forgiveness of Jesus. Godly sorrow that led to salvation and no regret. Listen, I don't know what you're holding on to, but if you've confessed it to Jesus, it's forgiven. And it's time for you to let it go. To let it go. And for those of you who are afraid, I'm going to break into a Disney song right now. (laughs) It will never, ever happen. I never want to hear that song again as long as I live. Can I get a hallelujah? All right, dilly dilly. Listen to this. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess, I got you, didn't I? If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from some unrighteousness. No, from all unrighteousness, all of it, it's all gone. Whatever it is, it's gone. you got to let it go. You're free. Don't let the pain of your past rob you from God's calling of your future. Don't let the pain of your past rob you from the ability to forgive other people. 
Let it go, the neglect, the lies, whatever, the words that you did, the things that you did, whatever it is, because you need to acknowledge the truth. The truth of the matter is no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you can never undo the past. But the good news is God can change the future. So let it go. Do you love him? Yes. Then go do his will. Feed his sheep. Let it go. Then here's what's going to happen. And be warned. Your spiritual enemy is never going to let it go. Every now and then, he'll try to bring up your past. Well, you did this, or you weren't there for them, or whatever. And here's the, here's the deal. Craig Rochelle said this so well. When that happens, remember that the devil is bringing up your past because he's intimidated by your future. The devil is bringing up your past because he's intimidated by your future. If you grab hold of this, it's going to change everything. Think about Peter. Who did God choose to be the guest speaker at the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost? It was Peter. And what was Peter's message? Very simple. You guys, you killed Jesus. Um, Repent of your sins. Turn towards God, be baptized, call on the name of Jesus, and you will be saved. You'll be forgiven. Think about who God chose to do his will, to preach his truth. He didn't choose people who were perfect. <clears throat> he chose people who were forgiven. He didn't choose the one who was always faithful. I don't know who that would have been. He chose the ones who experienced grace. And remember this, and we'll come back to it in regard to others, but it's also true for ourselves. Forgiveness is about, has nothing to do with feelings. Forgiveness is about the facts. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the feelings. Forgiveness is only about the facts. That's going to be so important. And here's the facts. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, which is infinity, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. As a good, good father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows where we came from. He knows how we're formed. He knows that we came from dust. He gets it. Peter got it. He did not miss out on the grace of God. He had a repentance that led to salvation that left no regret. Doesn't mean he didn't blow it again because he did. But he never said, boy, I'm so ashamed. He never in one of his letters wrote, oh, man, I hope you guys will pray for me. You guys know the story about how I denied him. I sure hope he forgives me someday. He never brought it up again. Here's what he did write in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 as he's writing to a church. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it all goes now. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. That seems to me like godly sorrow that brought repentance that led to salvation and leaves no regret. And here's one of my favorite descriptors of the early disciples. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were fishermen, man, they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's all that matters. doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is that you've been with Jesus. And if you've been with Jesus, then... 
feed my sheep. Piper said it this way. The gospel is not a help wanted ad where God is looking for a few good men and women. It is a help offered ad. Love that. Where God, through the power of his spirit and the gift of his grace, he takes bad men and women and makes them good. We're going to do communion together right now, and I wanted to lead right into it out of this sermon because it's a great chance for us to spend a moment and think about this. What I really would love to have happen today is I, I just feel like God's just telling me to tell you, would you knock it off? That's what he's telling me to tell you, okay? Whatever it is that you keep bringing up to him over and over again and asking for forgiveness for over and over again, God just wants you to knock it off. He already forgave you. You keep bringing it back up again, and he already forgave you. He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Let me go back and look. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I forgive you again. Today, he would like for you to let it go. Because that's going to guard your heart. Because that's going to be the salvation that leaves no regret. And some of you, maybe uh, you're not here or listening to me by accident. This is a day that you need to invite him into your heart. So we're going to do communion. The trays are going to come by. There's two cups, one inside the other. Take them both out and, and hold them, and we will do this together. You don't have to be from Parkview. If you're a believer, join us. And let's pray. Lord, for those of us who keep walking back out of the ocean of the grace of God, I pray that this is the day that we let it go. I pray that this is the day that we release whatever it is that we just don't think you've forgiven us for. And if we maybe just one last time need to bring it up to you again, Lord, we're going to bring it up right now during communion. We're going to say, okay, Lord, forgive me for that. And we're going to walk out of here free, no regret. And for those who don't know if they have that kind of a relationship with their creator, let this be the day that they open up their heart and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I don't think I could list all the things. I just need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. So I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart. And as we take communion today together, Lord, the bread and the juice that represent the body and your body and your blood that paid the price for whatever it is I need to let go of, maybe that will help us to understand the price that you paid for my sin. And we can wait out a little bit further, maybe even get our our shorts wet a little bit in the grace of God and understand that you are a good Lord and that you are a good, good Father. Be with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.